Welcome to Antimatter Pod, a Star Trek podcast where we discuss fashion, feminism, subtext and subspace, hosted by Annika and Liz. Today we're discussing this Star Trek Lower Decks Season 4 episode, In the Cradle of Vexalon. Ironically, I had to run a software update before I could watch this episode. They were trolling you. <laughs> I mean, someone is trolling me. It might be Apple. Related to that, and you know... My IT guy at work has said many times, mm. never update it until you absolutely have to. <laughs> because the yeah. first few months, everyone who does update it is like showing them where all the bugs are. Mm. Mm. And uh, they're the guinea pigs. And so you should wait until it's ready. I do think maybe Vexalon has waited a million years for his update. And, and so that should have been a stable release, but I also think this is the risk you run when you're running an archaic system that's not really being maintained. Yeah, his creators are all gone. Yeah. If Apple went bankrupt, <laughs> we'd all be like, oh dear. <laughs> Oops. He's an MS-DOS OS in a, an Apple world. <laughs> or Linux. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. He was a he was a very sweet computer though. I really enjoyed the running gag of are we sure he's not evil? And no, he just wants to do his best. And sometimes that means restarting the Genesis project from scratch. Uh, Oopsies. Honestly, no. this this is a really slight episode. I watched it and was like, we're gonna have a really short episode, but I think that's what Lower Decks is so great for. Yes. It's just about silliness. Mm. You know, the B-plot, there isn't even any high stakes or anything. All of the high stakes are entirely on just Boimler. And he creates them. He creates his own high stakes. I mean, that so. is the Brad Boimler story. That's right. And that's why we love him. He didn't have to rescue all those Borg babies. And he didn't have to think himself into a crisis of confidence here and then almost sabotage his first command. But he did, and we love him for it. That's right. And luckily he has Talyn, you know. Oh my gosh. Working up to be quite the good addition to making sure everything stays stable. Like the best Vulcan characters, she is the voice of wisdom and a dispassionate outsider, which is going to be great for when she finally cracks, as all Vulcans do, and goes <laughs> off the rails. Cannot wait. <laughs> And I like that we're pairing her with more characters than just Tendi. Obviously, I ship it a lot, but to be engaged, to be fully engaged with Talyn as a character, I need to see her interact with the wider community. Yeah, that was the real failing of Lower Dick's first season, is that yeah. they were just Brad and Mariner together, and Tendi and Rutherford are mm. together, and, you know, once in a while there might be a couple other interactions, but that was the main and especially for Tendi and Rutherford. Like, Mariner and Boimler got to interact with other people uh, much more than Tendi and Rutherford. And they really course-corrected that. They did. season going forward, so. One thing that I like about Lower Decks is that it does tend to be very good at recognising and correcting its errors before it has to be called out. Or, you know, taking that critique as critique. Yes. And not 
criticism, I guess. And they you don't mm. course correct in a defensive way. Absolutely. I remember the first holodeck episode. The way the bleeping sounded at one point, it sounded like Dr. Ta'ara was using a homophobic slur. And I queried Mike McMahon on Twitter and he gave me an incredibly courteous response and like shared the unbleeped clip to prove that it wasn't a slur. And like I was trying to be polite. I didn't want to be like calling you out on the internet. But as we have seen, some showrunners get defensive at the very gentlest of critique. And McMahon really seems like a solid guy who really deserves to be be running a Star Trek. Like, of all the fans to go pro, I'm the happiest for him. Mm -hmm. So do we think that Bradwood's attempt at an informal command style is his attempt to mimic Pike? Oh, I like that a lot. Because he's kind of, I'm not a regular senior officer, I'm a cool senior officer. (laughs) I'm a cool commander. I like that, and it would be very in character. Mm. It would be a nice Mm. little callback, and it will be a good test for if I still (laughs) find it annoying. Well, I kind of did find it (laughs) annoying. Bradwood's insistence on not respecting the hierarchy because he doesn't believe he deserves his place in the hierarchy if it's not at the bottom, which is a great piece of characterization. He's so ambitious, but then he achieves the fruits of his ambition or he begins to, and then he's uncomfortable with it. I really like that about him. But at the same time, I also think that's not the Pike trait to mimic. No, certainly not the one. And I do think that it's a really interesting character flaw. Mm. The idea that people are like want there to be this, uh, you know, no hierarchy and we're all a team. And that, like, that's mm. the most, like, you know, skipping over to the other plot when they say that's not very Starfleet-y of it. And it's like, yeah, but starfleet doesn't really exist in the real world. And if there's no hierarchy, it's like things fall apart too. Yeah. So so there has to be a, a strata of some kind. Mm, mm. Uh, and in in Star Trek, in Starfleet, there is a very defined one. Yes. And you can play around with that and you can have an ensign be in your senior crew or you can have a, a, a collaborative way of putting things together but you also have to have someone in charge Mm. for when emergencies like a giant volcano popping out of the earth right there's a balance here and Mm. pike hasn't found it and certainly poor bradward and his first mission is uh ill-equipped to find (laughs) it but you know we, we can believe in them Look, I think that it is probably very common for young, recently promoted officers to struggle with this. And that's why we have Lieutenant Junior Grade, why we have these transitional ranks. I actually studied management briefly when I was preparing to be a librarian. And obviously, like, a flat hierarchy is good, especially in something like, you know, a public service, a librarianship situation. You don't need a whole lot of ranks. But... In a military or a pseudo-military, even in the legal industry, it's intensely hierarchical to the point where I think some of these people have not left high school in their hearts. And, you know, I'm an executive assistant, so I'm sort of in, I'm the lieutenant junior grade of the legal world hierarchy, but 
if there's an emergency, if we have to evacuate, I put on my fire warden hat and suddenly I'm in charge. And this is actually something that, like Bradwood, I really struggle with because I don't want to be a hard ass, but I do need all of you to get out of this skyscraper. And like Bradwood, there's uh, the impulse to do it all myself rather than delegate. That's definitely something that I think a lot of us would struggle mm. with. Mm. Especially um, because I think a lot of Trekkies are sort of type A perfectionist people who think that they can teach something by demonstrating it, but can't do the next step of stepping back and watching their students make mistakes. Also, personally, I would not make Bradwood's first command a mission with any stakes whatsoever. Just putting that out there. So I don't think that Ransom, mm-hmm. who I can assume assigned him, mm-hmm. or Freeman, I don't think they saw it as, as high stakes at all because they just, it was very easy. Just take this out and put it, put mm-hmm. a new one in, mm-hmm. you know, and don't it's drop a very it. simple. They don't think that Talyn's going to show up and say, hey, you know, if you, if you drop mm-hmm. these, the mm-hmm. planet blows up. Mm-hmm. That's what set him off it was her helpful you know she's like hey i have some helpful information about this and it's always the 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 vulcans and the androids are always popping in with with helpful information it's like that's not helpful keep that to yourself yeah with all due respect sometimes we don't need to know that (laughs) i don't think that they thought it as high stakes at all and then it became even more so because Mm -hmm. That, you know, Freeman screwed up her part of the mission. It's funny, though, because I was thinking that another thing where the show has evolved is that, in general, the command staff are much more competent than they seemed at first. They're silly and they make mistakes, but I wouldn't say overall in terms of outcome that they're any less competent than a Janeway or a Cisco or Picard. I would say actually that Freeman is better at the collaborative mm. leadership role than Pike. That's a really um, good point. In fact, we've seen that uh, things kind of fall apart when she tries to impose a stronger hierarchy and stricter rules. Right. And so I, you know, I don't know. It's all the different personalities involved. And not to harp on poor Pike, but uh, I just I I think it's it, and it, and it possibly could be because the Cerritos is always going to have lower stakes than the Enterprise. Right, yes. This is a ship where you can safely do that. But also, we were talking about how Kirk, you know, changes his approach for the situation. And as a Tumblr post put it, he commits to the bit. Janeway does the same thing. Janeway is exactly the same. But because she's a female character, people say she's inconsistent and crazy. Weird how that happened. <laughs> so weird. So weird. Those same people are going to be mad at me for saying that Freeman has a better right. style than Pike. They're going to be really upset with me. Well, I think you're right. But I also think part of the reason that Mariner has such a complex relationship with her family and with Starfleet is that she is given free reign. But then every now and then, just as Mariner cracks down on her crew, her parents crack down on her. And she sees it as Starfleet cracking down on her. You know, she has not grown up with consistent leadership or, or authority from her parents. Which is super interesting. Look at the amazing, like, in-depth familial <laughs> dramatics that right. we're pulling out of this silly little animated series. Right. And I don't mean I that as an indictment of Mariner's parents. I think that, like mm-hmm. all parents, they're doing their best. 
and this is simply you know a set of personality traits inherent to them that they were not able to overcome and I think that happens sometimes what your kid needs is not what you can provide and it's not abuse it's not cruelty it's just a mismatch of personalities and that's why Mariner and Ransom are such a good pair. Exactly, which is great. Mm. That's amazing. Before we let Beckett take over the show, as she so often does, can we talk about the fact that this is Boimler's first death? <laughs> to be honest, I'm amazed he hasn't died a bunch of times you're, before. You're like, are you sure? Are you sure that's your first death? Can He's we have a recount? Been- Horrible things have happened to him. Like, remember mm. when he turned transparent? Yes, yes, and exuded a high-pitched noise. The tropical spa planet. And, of course, we his double allegedly mm. died. Yes. Uh, not really, but allegedly. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's sort of like grading on a curve, to call it, his first death. I guess what I'm thinking is that Harry Kim had died so many times by this point in his career and didn't even get a promotion. Harry Kim, Harry Kim has died like three or four times in the first season and a half. Right, right. And and then he comes back as another Harry Kim. (laughs) (laughs) From the entire other universe died and only Harry survives. And And Naomi. I I was going to say, and Naomi. (laughs) And for Harry as an adult, like, there's only a few hours difference between the universes. I can see Harry, like, rolling with it, especially because he's died so many times. But I wonder if Samantha ever looked at Naomi and was like, changeling baby. It's something that is, again, because of the format, they were never going to talk about that again. Mm. But it is interesting to think of my baby came from a different Mm. universe. No, it's worse. I gave birth to my baby and held her as she died, and then they gave me an identical replacement. So creepy! You know how originally Mortal Coil was written to be about Samantha Wildman dying, and the whole thing was that she wanted to kill herself and take Naomi with her, and the showrunners were like, "Uh, Brian Fuller, you seem like a very talented young man, but uh, actually no. Please rewrite this. (laughs) But what I'm saying is, Brian Fuller was onto something. He understood. He understood the reality of the situation. Yeah. Speaking of Voyager deep cuts, let's talk about hazing the lieutenants. (laughs) Yeah, first of all, of course, Starfleet hazes. You know, Mm. they're not going to do the the kind where someone might die of alcohol poisoning. They are going to do this silly nonsense mm-hmm. because those personalities exist everywhere right like, i i i reject the gene roddenberry version of the future where somehow all of our petty differences have been erased that doesn't right. make sense to me some people are just assholes uh eric Ortegas, <laughs> who you know also likes a bit of hazing but also i can see hypothetically how a bit of low stakes hazing serves to bring a team together you know that is a bonding experience and you're almost setting a group of people up to be a team who have an adversarial relationship with you which Mm -hmm. is an interesting approach to leadership not really sure that it's something i endorse but also i don't think i would do it with this group of people who are also already very much bonded as a team 
I mean, I think that guy is more the he's just an asshole. Yeah. But then Ransom is in on it, so... But, I mean, back to Ransom being a himbo, mm. who, like, he's a Ken, who just goes along with the flow, <laughs> because that's what's happening. It's weird to me that, like, how, why are you friends? And I was like, oh, because he's Ransom, okay, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I guess they can be friends. So, yes, I agree, but I also think that that, that guy... I'm sorry, I've forgotten his name. No, same. He seems the type to like he only has two pips himself mm, <laughs> so mm. so he's just lording over the fact that he is one and a half <laughs> of a rank higher than these guys and i can see that from ransom's perspective going back to your original point that was very low stakes and just funny yeah like, yeah it's just a prank how silly and he doesn't know all the stuff that happened you know, all the stuff that they went through to, to unprank the prank. Right, right. No one outside their group is aware of it. So there's like layers mm. there. And again, as long as you're not actually putting people into danger or creating a situation where they're just doing this menial task to make fun of them and like... I feel like it should have been almost revealed at the end that it was that, haha, we got this aunt over you. Mm. Because then you actually learn a lesson from it. But it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> I just enjoyed the fact that I was able to line it up with the survivor tagline. <laughs> I know, I know. Because your note here is the work to undo their pranks plays to their strength. So Rutherford does the puzzles outwit mariner bullshits she outplays and tendy finishes the task which is outlasting and yes that plays to their strengths i would like to see them like swap it up so that rutherford has to bullshit and he'd be so bad at it oh he would be terrible but also by the end of it he would like tellerite jazz <laughs> oh yeah yeah <laughs> so he'd be bad at at it but eventually good at it Yes. I like the glimpses we get of Orion culture through yes. Tendi. Uh, I, I hoard every crumb in my green little Orion facts bag, which doesn't exist, but it's like a box in my heart. Blindfold knife fights. Yes, please. Let's go. <laughs> I want to know more about that, but not right now. <laughs> <laughs> Same. <laughs> oh, oh, I almost forgot to say, with regards to Boimler's death, the cosmic koala has just become my favourite joke, my favourite running gag in Lower Decks. Cosmic koala. Like, I found, oh, it was on one of those stupid websites that I think are written by AI, but it was like a list of all the references to the koala. And mm -hmm. like when Shax dies, he, he's brought to a black mountain. And then in another episode, he mentions the koala was there. And so, like, the koala will bring Katrina Cornwell back to me. Amazing. Yeah. I did not know that it was a running... No, yeah. I had completely so... forgotten. And then it turned up in those old scientists in, you know, the branding thing mm -hmm, at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, there's a koala. And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, this, is, this has been a thing all along. I am so bad That's at really... being a Star Trek podcast. No, that's, that's really funny, though. Mm. It was a little Beetlejuice reference to me, because mm. it was like, they end up in the waiting room. Yes. And, but then he's scared out of it by the cosmic koala. I mean, 
Koalas are terrifying. I'm sorry. <laughs> My favourite joke this week was Ransom the Art Critic. Me too! <laughs> I was definitely going to bring that up. I was like, we have to talk about... It's a perfect... It's a perfect characterization for him. Yes. That he has deep-held beliefs and opinions about art. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that is accurate and correct, and I love it. I think every layer we peel away of Ransom, I think just reveals a smaller, more muscul muscular Ransom underneath. But somewhere in there, you know. I just don't think Mariner would be attracted to him if he didn't have some substance. Some substance. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. But it's like, it's, some, it's substance that you wouldn't expect him to have. Right, right. Like, he's flexing and listening to a modern art podcast. <laughs> It's exactly. It's a he's he spends his shore leaves at museums. Sounds mm. like mm. you know that sounds fake, but I would enjoy it. Well, I'm pretty sure he's the kind of guy who like brings his hand weights to a museum so he can get a workout while he's looking That's at right. the art. And he's like, it's a really good cardio workout. If you come early and speed walk, you can look at all the exhibits and then you can do it again. My heart rate gets so high when I see that one piece. That's great. I also so great. liked Freeman's minor in ancient computers. Yes. I love the idea that at the academy you can just sort of study anything. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all amazing. That's just really fun to me. They, Because, uh, again, I work for a college. Right. And we're always worrying about, not necessarily my college, but, like, the idea of academia. Mm. You know, if we push everybody into one like into computer science, then we have a whole bunch of computer scientists and nothing else. Right. And that's a problem. But, you know, you're not supposed to measure in art history. You're not supposed to measure in Italian. You're not supposed to major in English literature or whatever, because those aren't going to get you a good job. You know, you're certainly not supposed to major in acting. <laughs> um, my God. So, Again, my version of utopia is you get to study whatever you're interested mm, in mm. and it doesn't affect whether or not you can survive your life as an adult <laughs> because they, they've taken care of that. Yeah, and I love that Starfleet Academy is a military academy but one that also kind of functions like a liberal arts college. We, exactly, we, again, my utopia. We talked about how Star Trek, modern Trek, really exists in a liberal arts bubble, and it 100% does. Guess where Henry Alonso Myers, the uh, executive producer of Strange New Worlds and writer of the finale, went to university? I would love to know. Wesleyan. <laughs> of course. Of course. Of course. Of course. But I think, as always, Lower Decks is conscious of that impulse and will... Make it the joke. And I love that for them. Right. And what I mean by my utopia being the military school that ha is also a liberal arts university is that those are the kind of soldiers that mm. I would want to mm. exist. That, you know, I'm willing to say that there are going to be enemies who require an army in mm. space. Sure. I can accept that as a reality. But I don't want the people who are fighting them to be career military. <laughs> I want them to be artists and scientists mm. and humanitarians who have learned how to use their phaser. 
Mm. Because their impulse is going to be, you know, way back to the first episode of Discovery, not fire first. Yeah. And I think that is an impulse to be rewarded and to be protected. Absolutely. And I think, you know, even Lorca is a creepy guy and a bad dude and kind of doesn't seem to know that whales aren't fish. But at the same time, he talks like someone who has studied history and whose weird menagerie, uh, oh, a menage, points to someone with scientific curiosity, albeit maybe evil curiosity. How can I turn these weird animals into a weapon for my purposes? Look, all I'm saying is he had a whole gaunt skeleton in his menage and maybe someone should have been asking questions. See, where's the intellectual curiosity that I know Starfleet inhibits? Yes, yes. Uh, Related to the Gorn, next episode is something borrowed, something green. So I'm calling either hilarious Tendi Orion arranged marriage episode or Gorn wedding. Yay! (laughs) Gorn wedding, Gorn wedding. Yes. Or both. Oh my Tenshi's god. She's arranged marriage to, to a, a gorn. <laughs> I'm not saying that marrying a gorn should be our solution to all narrative problems, but what if it was? Maybe we've we're on to something. Yeah, yeah. Have you considered just marrying the evil lizard? Chuck Tingle would agree with me. I just watched Nimona for the first time, (sighs) which my son has been after me to watch forever because Mm. he says it was literally made for me. And he is correct. Yes. It is literally made for me. The year of Annika continues. (laughs) And so, yeah, I mean, befriend the monster is always going to be my go-to. Befriend that monster. You are the actual monster if you don't try this out. Right, Pike. (laughs) I'm sorry. I feel really bad that... I know, we're we're so harsh on him. No, but also that I'm still in Strange New Worlds mode because we've only had a couple of weeks between uh, Strange New Worlds finale and getting our screeners for Lower Decks, and I only just finished editing our Hegemony episode yesterday. So... I am sorry to our listeners. I simply am caught in a time bubble and will try to get out. I also think that even if we didn't have screeners, it's Mm. not that long in between the two. And it is kind of a a whiplash of tone, Mm. taking specifically hegemony into the tone of that episode. That is a cliffhanger that we're all like sitting here going to be, you know, stuck in for two to five years. Um, (laughs) So I understand not, you know, not getting past that particular um, thing. But I think that Lower Decks is worth just paying attention to on its own and enjoying and letting us relax Mm, is nice. Absolutely. Lower Decks never makes me angry. Sometimes it annoys me, but it never makes me angry. And I think that's wonderful. Thank you for listening to Antimanapod. You can find our show notes at antimanapod.com, including links to our social media, credits for our theme music, and transcripts of our episodes. You can follow us on Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram, and Blue Sky. 
when I remember to actually do Blue Sky. <laughs> All at AntimatterPod. And on Mastodon at, at antimatterpod.104.social. If you like us, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume your podcasts. The more reviews, the easier it is for new listeners to find us. And join us next week for the next episode of Lower Decks, Something Borrowed, Something Green. Gone, Wendy.